BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And Connor Oaks is here. I'm back. I don't believe it. You yes. were gone for two weeks. I was. I, I was. Uh, I was down for the count, but now I've recovered. Um, I didn't didn't quite uh, tap out. Um, I had COVID. Uh, it was not fun. Uh, but uh, but you know what? I'm back and healthier than ever. Probably not, but at least I feel okay. Well, I'm so glad you're feeling better. Any advice to uh, people who uh, might be going through uh, in the future what yeah. you have just gone through over the yeah. last few weeks? You know, I, I, I the having a little uh, blood oxygen sensor uh, that you get off uh, whatever website like Amazon for like $7, and it goes on your finger and shines a little laser through your finger and tells you what your blood oxygen mm-hmm. content is. Uh, can really give you a lot of peace of mind. Uh, it's just like, I think we should all have them in the same way we all have thermometers in our homes to see if we got a fever. And uh, it's very, very easy to get, and you should uh, everybody run out and grab one. Also, um, turns out Paxlovid uh, is one of uh, a couple, I think, but it's, it's the main treatment uh, for COVID and a pill you can take in the first couple of days of symptoms. And uh, I spoke to a uh, a doctor and he said, oh, yeah, people just don't even know that it's available. People don't know that it it decreases the length and severity of the illness and decreases your chance of ending up in a hospital and more people should be taking it. We have a great pill. It's a great treatment for the, uh, the current. It was tested on the prior strains. But it still works just fine uh, against Omicron, which is presumably what I got because Omicron has taken over, you know, 95 plus of all cases nowadays. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, I felt better after a couple of days. They did tell me that even if uh, the, the COVID doesn't knock out your sense of taste, Paxlovid will mess up your sense of taste. So that was interesting. It did mess it up, but I bounced right back. Wow. I, I was lucky. Well, congratulations for getting through it so well. And, uh, and by the way, I'm uh, just kind of... <clears throat> clearing my throat these days but besides that yeah, yeah flying colors so it's memorial day right now it is. and so the we want to uh, advise you of the fact that you may hear the uh, squeals of delight from some kids basically between four and seven years old in the background and so it will give a, a flavor touch, a touch of realism yeah. yeah to the podcast i mean you probably counter people probably think we're at some fancy studio on top of a skyscraper in manhattan you know hermetically right, sealed right, yeah. with all sorts of you know, Casey Kasem type uh, wall coverings mm-hmm. to to absorb the sound. No, no, no. We're a home not studio. there. It's a home studio, and the the kids are in the background. So we'll. Uh, we'll it's deal very nice with to that. now. You know, in twenty twenty two, be able to have the kids screaming in the background instead of uh, just doing the podcast from us uh, all alone in the bunker hiding. Uh, from the world. Uh, it's nice yep, to have. Uh, it's right. nice that we've got Paxlovid now and that we've got vaccines. It's and another nice. nice thing is Memorial Day, an opportunity to say thank you. You know, it's funny. In the past, I've, uh, like most everybody else, kind of without thinking about it, was, oh, happy Memorial Day. And, you know, occasionally people will kind of remind you and they say, you know, should you really be saying happy it's not really Memorial happy Day? Because we're, holiday, we're, yeah. we're recognizing people who made the ultimate sacrifice. Right. And, you know, it's it's for people who, who died, but also people who just uh, gave their 
their service. And they, I mean, my father fought in, yeah. in World War II in the in the South Pacific in New Guinea. And uh, thank goodness he, he got back okay, but not everybody did. And so, yeah, Memorial Day is a wonderful time to remember those people who uh, really uh, helped out the nation in times of need. So um, being Memorial Day, Connor, mm-hmm. it's the day before the Johnny Depp uh, verdict, uh, jury goes back to work. Right. The, uh, they got the case last Friday, and instead of being like an O.J. Simpson jury, oh, we don't even need to order a ham sandwich or elect a foreman. Boom, we're ready to vote. Yeah, Judge let's Edo, go. Let's can we go. go back in there? Because we like to get flown to New York and be interviewed by the Today Show. Right. So this jury uh, ordered their ham sandwich, and they probably picked their foreman, but then they said, you know, in the afternoon on Friday, Judge, you know, we're just going to go home. And a lot of people thought, a lot of people I think are predicting that Johnny Depp will win. You know, he seemed to get pretty good reviews for his testimony. And so some people were thinking, hey, it's the weekend. It's the Memorial Day weekend. Boom, they're going to be out of there. But they weren't. So uh, I, I know you haven't followed it super closely, but do you have any uh, guesstimate yeah. uh, as to what might happen, uh, what this jury might do? Yeah, I think this this case, you know, the, the biggest, one of the biggest uh, media circuses and public reactions to a case uh, in years, I mean, uh, since probably, uh, I mean, obviously, Britney Spears had a recent, uh, uh, you know, bunch time. of hearings, not yeah. a full blown jury. Trial. Yeah, exactly. But and that got a ton of attention. But like you said, not exactly the same because it wasn't a jury trial. Uh, but then going back to, you know, Michael Jackson's doctor um, was a huge one. Um, and then Michael Jackson himself was a huge one. Conrad Murray was the doctor. I know you did a lot of commentary for Conrad Murray's case um, as a, a, you know, on, on that topic. I think this is one of the biggest circuses recently. And and when it gets down to it, there's really two different versions of the case. There's the court of public opinion, as always. And then there's the legal aspect of things. And in the court of public opinion, as you pointed out, Johnny Depp has gotten a lot of good press for his uh, performance. People thought his testimony was very, very good, very compelling. And a lot of people are now fully on uh, the team Depp in terms of uh, their belief that that uh, he was the victim of domestic violence. Um, but in uh, in her turn, Amber Heard's turn, she also uh, made a, a, a good case that a lot of um, that Depp's behavior was uh, unacceptable, that he, uh, you know, may have even uh, assaulted her. Um, and as a result, basically, the muddy the waters look very muddy now in the court of public opinion, and you get people taking sides. But in reality, that's a win for Depp, because Depp's entire career was destroyed by the leaked video of him screaming and yelling and ranting and being drunk in the morning and throwing things, right? That video... It wasn't destroyed. I mean, he does claim, and I'm sure he put on a bunch of evidence about how he didn't get a particular Pirates of the Caribbean gig right. or some other stuff, but I mean, he's still standing. He is still standing, but he's ha, didn't have the standing as the movie star that he once right. was. And this trial has absolutely given him the chance to uh, put the ball back in Amber Heard's court. Which is and, ironic because he sued in the UK and he lost over right, there. Yeah. And he decided, I'm going to sue in Virginia court right. as well. So that gets into the legal side of things. Well, I would agree that that, that Johnny Depp is is uh, coming out the winner uh, on, uh, on the court of public opinion at the moment. Now we have a jury who's got to decide things on the law. And sometimes the jury just ignores the law, right? They just go with who they want to win or some larger societal issue or whatever else, something like O.J. Simpson, where they say, you know, the the jury clearly uh, was probably persuaded by the larger societal implications of the fact that we referendum got, on yeah, police yeah, racism and brutality police, exactly as opposed racism. to whether or not he happened to kill those yeah, two people exactly a lot of the the uh, the people on that jury probably just said we don't really care uh, whether he did that we care that this uh, cop says the n word right that is uh, is probably true and. In this case, too, we may end up with a verdict that's similar to that. Who knows? We may. Uh, it, it's it's hard to know. We don't know these jurors yet. And it's always a crapshoot with jurors. But in this case, as to the legal side of things, specifically, Johnny Depp is suing about defamation. He's saying my character was defamed. I was defamed when you wrote in an op-ed in the newspaper that you had been the victim of domestic violence. Everybody knew you were talking about me. That wasn't true. And I was defamed. Well, after now, all the, 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 the case has been presented, the stories have been told, and what do we see? Kind of Johnny's best story is that they were both bad people to each other. Right. And we're arguing about the degree to which which one was worse and which one should be looked down on by society. But 
in no circumstance is anybody really saying that Johnny Depp is blameless, that he wasn't a bad husband or boyfriend, that he didn't scream and yell and throw things and get drunk in the morning and, and, and be at least verbally abusive. That is counts as domestic violence. So, since- so there's no way in my mind, legally, he can win a case where he's saying she's defaming me by telling people that I committed acts of domestic violence when his, his own testimony was, yeah, I did X, Y, Z. Yeah, that is me on camera. Legally, that defamation claim, this isn't a case about domestic violence. It's not like he's going to go to jail for domestic violence or she's going to go to jail for domestic violence for assault or anything like that. It's not a criminal case. It's a case about defamation of character and what the public now believes about their character. And it's not like Johnny Depp's case has in any way disproven the video that came out years and years ago of him, you know, being drunk in the morning, yelling, screaming and running around, throwing things. So the whole mutual abuse theory means Johnny loses. So you uh, are Mr. Guest the Verdict, Connor. Our feature at the end of this podcast, as usual, uh, will be yeah. guess the verdict. Connor's going to be a, uh, asked to guess. Uh, I'll tell you what to give you a little tease right now. The topic is the case of the exploding stomach. Ooh. That's the guess oh Connor's going to have to come up with at the end of the podcast. But at the top of the podcast, let's uh, hold your feet to the fire. Uh, guess the verdict in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. Uh, okay. Are you saying you think Johnny's going to lose? In this case, I think that the Virginia jury is going to a, a present a, a, a referendum on the fact that this uh, that the story seems to be different than the, what they initially knew and heard. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, I did learn something new in this case. I learned that Amber was bad in certain ways to Johnny. And as a result of that, they are members of the public and they feel the public would be lied to. I think they're actually going to have Johnny win, despite the fact that legally he shouldn't. Legally, he shouldn't win on the, the based on the definition, you know, the words defamation and the, the, the elements of the, the tort of defamation, what all that means in terms of lawyers talking at each other. But guess what? I think juries vote for the person uh, that they like uh, and they're going to like this super charismatic, uh, excellent testimony by Johnny Depp and say, uh, yeah, um, you know, he might have been a drunk, but I don't think that counts as domestic violence, when in reality, I think it does. All right. Well, you are on a record. Uh, before we get to uh, the uh, the big three topics of the day that we want to uh, chat about, uh, we, we've got w- one other feature I wanted to delve into, and that's our relatively new feature of Moron of the Week. And mm-hmm. here's my candidate, Connor. Tell me if I'm being too harsh. We know that the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, has been nominated by President Joe Biden to be the ambassador to India. Any day now. Yeah, I'm sure he's got incredible experience, vast amount of study and PhDs about the subcontinent and so on. I think he speaks multiple languages. Oh, he probably uh, speaks yeah. Hindi and yeah. all the dialects Pashtu, and so on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So setting aside, you know, the, the silliness of, of nominating somebody like that. The the oddball aspect here is his parents. Gil Garcetti used to be district attorney uh, in Los Angeles in the 90s. He was the DA during the O.J. Simpson trial. And the mom, Suki Garcetti, they went out and hired a lobbying firm, the McGuire Woods Consulting Firm. They are registered lobbyists with the federal government. They hired them, the parents did, for the specific purpose of getting the son's damn nomination through the U.S. Senate, get this thing done, get the kid over to New Delhi. Right. And they are just being pilloried. How could they not have anticipated that people would say, excuse me, Mr. Mayor, you need your parents to hire a lobby. You need them to ride to the rescue. I mean, don't you think this is going to really backfire? And I mean, it's one thing to say uh, our son has been totally you know, vilified improperly. There is right. absolutely no reason for holding this nomination up. We want to come up with ideas to help. And fine, hire a lobbyist. But for the parents to hire and pay the bill and so on, is that good for Eric Garcetti's image? Yeah, it's pretty strange. Uh, I don't think it's particularly good. I think that um, overall, uh, when campaigns and candidates and people vying for for ambassadorships and anybody else um, in the public eye that's gotten a bunch of criticism, uh, in this case, Garcetti has gotten a lot of criticism because um, someone named Jacobs, who was uh, on his Rick Jacobs, one of his aides, um, who was uh, you know, close to him, uh, allegedly uh, sexually assaulted women, and Garcetti may have known about it. Um, and so that is partially stalling him from the left and all the criticism from the right that, you know, anybody that Biden would have put up would have gotten criticized by the right. But this one's especially uh, easy to low hanging fruit to target Eric Garcetti because he obviously knows nothing about India because 
he's the mayor of Los Angeles. It's not like he's an international studies diplomat of some kind, which is who you'd think you'd want to be an ambassador. But in reality, ambassadorships are political handouts. They are simply, you know, resume builders for certain people or cushy jobs for other people because they don't really do that much in most countries, especially in countries where people where, you know, we have good diplomatic relations. When you already have good diplomatic diplomatic relations with Ireland, it's not particularly important who the the ambassador to Ireland is. If a billionaire's lifelong dream has been ambassador to Luxembourg, he's going to make the donation and he's get the job. So, yeah. Is it silly to, to, to hire a PR firm? I don't know. I think. I think the 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 upshot, the the value proposition of a PR firm is we will uh, help you more than hurt you when you hire us. Yeah, but so again, they better. Again, I'm not focusing on whether it's smart or stupid or in between to hire a lobbyist. I'm focusing on the parents. And yeah, I think it doesn't help Garcetti's image as a strong, powerful political leader, mm. a guy we you know want to put on a pedestal and yeah, respect. And when he comes back from India, he's going to run for governor, president, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. To have mom and dad do this, I think has been bad for him. I think you're right. It is bad for him. I think it re- it highlights the reality that most people are uh, the product of po- uh, political and uh, wealth dynasties. And Americans don't like being reminded of that. Americans hate the idea uh, of it. And yet they elect George H. H.W. or George W. Bush after <laughs> right. H.W. Bush. I mean, we go for try to and elect look Hillary at, think Clinton. Think of John Quincy Adams. Yeah, he got elected, exactly. too, on dad's coattails. And Hillary got uh, pretty darn close after Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we have political uh, dynasties. We have billionaires and, and uh, ultra mega wealthy multimillionaires who, uh, you know, basically run the country like like the Russian oligarchs run Russia. And we don't like being reminded of that. Uh, but in reality, yeah, I mean, this is just a bookkeeping question about who had more cash on hand and, and better credit to be able to hire this PR firm, the parents or Garcetti. Maybe Garcetti thought he could distance himself from the idea of hiring a PR lobbying firm. And if his parents hired it, it wouldn't look as bad. It wouldn't look as defensive as if he did it. Uh, but that certainly backfired. Probably should have thought it through a little better. Yeah. Hey, here are the three topics we're going to get to today. Number one, uh, in the light of the horrific shooting done in Texas, uh, a big question has arisen. Should we have a national red flag law where people can go to the judge and say, hey, I know there's a person with a gun who shouldn't have a gun. Let's have a hearing. That's a huge issue. Number two, how should you react when a talented artist turns out to be a bad or allegedly bad person? And we're thinking of that because Kevin Spacey, in addition to all his other troubles now, has been charged with several more assaults in the United Kingdom. They're not trying to extradite him, but they're charging him. And so the question is, hey, should you uh, take your DVD of House of Cards and right. toss it into the fire? And finally, uh, should elephants be allowed to sue? Should elephants be permitted into the courthouse, assuming they you know, would have to make the doors bigger? Oh, I'm in for this one. We're going to get into all of those topics yeah. when we come back. But first, Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts being the biggest one. And while you're there, Leave us a review, uh, five stars or five out of five or uh, a big smiley face or whatever the platform uses. And leave us a comment because we read them and we appreciate them. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Noel Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So after the horrific shooting in Texas, uh, so many issues have have come up, uh, the usual issues that arise uh, after mass shootings. 
But one that's really getting some traction, I think, is the idea of a red flag law. Um, 19 states currently have red flag laws. Uh, they are situations where you can take guns away from people who uh, a judge believes uh, is dangerous, uh, mentally ill. Uh, and the process is you, you go to a, a court, you ask for a court order to uh, make sure a person who's deemed an imminent risk to themselves or others that they can't keep their guns, they can't get guns. And depending on the state, uh, teachers can do this, uh, family members, uh, uh, mental health professionals, a coach, an administrator. With 19 patchwork state law approaches, of course, you're going to get all sorts of different uh, angles there. But some people are saying, why don't we just make it national? Let's have a national red flag law along those lines, work out the details and have Congress agree on it. And Senator Manchin actually came out saying he favors a red flag law. Uh, you're gonna, he says that he doesn't want uh, necessarily background checks uh, and for all gun transfers and so on that a lot of uh, gun control advocates believe in, but at least he's in favor of the concept. Senator Collins, the Republican who's a centrist uh, in the Senate, she too wants a red flag law. What's your sense of it, Connor? Do you think this is the kind of thing, uh, an idea whose uh, time has uh, finally come? Yeah, so um, it's a really complicated issue. A lot of people just want to say, get rid of guns. And other people want to say, guns are the solution, not the problem. And, and just, you know, but uh, pretend that the, the answer is already in hand. In reality, gun control is multifaceted. The idea of how you get rid of guns, especially in a country like America, where there are more guns than people, and they are fiercely held and so dearly understood to be part of people's political and social identity, that I'm a gun owner, that I'm a gun advocate, that I am a sportsman who uses guns, although that's a vanishingly tiny percentage of people. Um, the, uh, the, the, the question of how you deal with this problem is, is multifaceted. And I understand that. I understand the, the compulsion of uh, a wacko like uh, uh, Ted Cruz uh, trying to get up there and be like, well, uh, the school should have fewer doors and that'll solve the problem. If we just have one concentrated uh, hole that uh, the people come in and out of and John Cornyn's up there saying we need man traps at the entrance to each, you know, multi levels of door to, to lock people in. And if they walk in with a gun, you can you can put them in a cage. Uh, OK, these are crazy, crazy uh, answers, obviously, uh, and not real solutions. But I understand the idea of grasping at straws to try to solve this problem because everyone's trying to solve this problem. Um, but a lot of of the uh, attempts to solve gun deaths without removing, you know, the mass numbers of guns that Americans have are misdirection. I understand the, the idea of a red flag law being, okay, this person is unwell, unsafe, mentally ill, right? That is the implication is that, is that this person who, who has the gun is mentally ill. But, and, and therefore, you know, a judge is going to be able to evaluate this person and say, they uh, it, that one individual uh, should not have a gun. But that's a really, really, really hard thing for a judge to do. I'm not against the idea of a red flag law. I don't think that it's a bad idea in theory to have as one of many layers that prevent people from committing, you know, layers of protection of the legal system to prevent people from having guns who are uh, shouldn't have them and are dangerous. But I think it is very a very narrow solution that will not actually uh, address the problem that needs to be addressed. The way that we uh, the way that we uh, treat people who are mentally ill, who have mental health problems in America, is to treat them as scapegoats, scapegoats for violence. We constantly have the narrative of this was a lone wolf, mentally ill shooter. Those words are nonsensical. They don't mean anything. It, it is nonsense to say that this is a lone wolf shooter. All that mean, all that the functions to say in American politics and and you know our response to mass shootings is to say he wasn't a member of ISIS. Basically, mm. anybody who isn't a member of ISIS is a lone wolf. It doesn't matter if this is an 18-year-old kid whose parents supplied them with the guns or drove them across state lines like Kyle Rittenhouse to menace people across state lines with that gun. It doesn't matter whether this person was brought up in a society and in a culture and in a church group and everybody else that says guns are your God-given right. Guns are the way that you protect your family. Guns are the way that you, you know, are strong. Those factors make this person not a lone wolf. Being in America, the America we live in, where there are more guns than human beings, means no individual shooter is a lone wolf. Mental, mentally ill people 
on the other hand, are, in addition, are more likely to be the victims of gun violence than to be the perpetrators. So when we say this is a mental illness problem, what we're really, unfortunately, accidentally saying is we're blaming the victims. We need to instead not think of the fact that some of the perpetrators of gun violence are uh, mentally ill as an indicator. In fact, it's not a good indicator. If you look at if you if you try to guess whether people would become shooters based on their status as mentally ill or not, it would actually send you the wrong direction. It wouldn't even just be a weak correlation towards this person might be a shooter. It would send you the wrong direction. It would say they're actually more likely to be shot than do the shooting. It is a bad indicator and it's not one we should focus on. So it's really dangerous to say then a judge should be dragging people into court on an individual one by one basis on a uh, uh, Based on, you know, the testimony of, you know, friends or family members or whoever other community members um, and saying, judge, you individually say, should this person have a gun? And that judge is going to say what? Well, are they mentally ill? I'm a judge. What do you want me to say? Of course, I'm going to say that. Of course, I'm going to ask that question. Of course, I'm going to take away this guy's gun. And while I'm taking away this guy's gun, the real next shooter is out there. And that is the problem with the red flag laws. Well, that in my you, mind, it's so narrow. But you were looking at macro issues, yes. societal issues about mental illness and guns overall. Isn't really the micro issue here uh, whether or not it's a good idea to give a tool to a judge to be able to confiscate a gun if the evidence, testimony by a shrink who yeah. examined the guy or yeah. whatever other credible evidence the judge relies on. I mean, isn't it obviously a good idea to give society in this in this context a judge uh, the ability to make people safer, just like they have the power to give, issue restraining orders in the domestic uh, abuse context? Uh, yeah. You know, stay 500 yes. feet away and so on. And like, like I said... I agree broadly with the idea that you should have a process through which somebody can say, hey, I know about Steve and Steve has too many guns and says scary, dangerous things and seems mentally unstable. Yeah, of course, you should have a legal process by which Steve's guns get taken away. But our society is the one that informs that judge about when that should happen, right? There's going to be a lot of false positives and a lot of false negatives. With any uh, with any system, you're going to end up with both of those, right? And in our society, what is that going to mean? That's going to mean that judges disproportionately take away the guns of people that are members of marginalized groups, like racial and ethnic minorities, people who are mentally ill, people who uh, uh, don't fit, a con uh, they're sort of conformed to their notion of, of uh, sane, responsible member of society, citizen, upstanding citizen, gun owner, all these things. And guess what? All of those, unfortunately, have nothing to do with whether people end up being mass shooters. The guy who, who killed people, killed 19 children in Uvalde, Texas, was driving a $75,000 Ford F-150, and his gun and all the accoutrement and his gear and everything was, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. He was effectively bought the stuff on credit, but effectively he was well off. Right. And we as a society think of well off gun owners as not the problem, not the perpetrators of gun violence. But it's actually not true. These are not good indicators, but judges are going to rely on those indicators because they're part of our criminal legal system that does that. Right. All the biases that come with being a part of the criminal legal system mean that they're going to already bake those into their, their decisions. What we need is to look at macro solutions. We had a an assault weapons ban in this country that expired in 2005. When that assault weapons ban expired, guns shootings went up by 243 percent. Before the the uh, assault weapons ban went into effect in the 90s, shootings were also dramatically lower. I don't have the percentage, but they were dramatically lower. So we had a law for a period of time that worked. Was it a good law? In my mind, it was pretty garbage. I've read the, the description of what it did. It called out a bunch of uh, uh, gun uh, models by name, and it said these are banned. And then it also said, if you meet any of the following two criteria, well, you have this kind of pistol grip, you have this kind of silence or muzzle flash reducer, uh, you have this kind of uh, large capacity magazine. If you have any two of those things, it adds up to an assault weapon. Did that really capture all the dangerous weapons and get them off the streets? No. But it did make it harder for people to end up with weapons of war, war being, you know, mass killing, weapons that shoot hundreds of rounds a minute, weapons that uh, do 
such horrific damage to the human body that it's got to be identified by DNA. This is a whole different category of weapon than a a hunting shotgun that's got to be reloaded manually between every two shells or something, or even a handgun with a small capacity magazine, a 22 caliber uh, that, that does a lot less damage to the human body. And people survive those gunshot wounds, accidental, intentional suicide attempts, all those. They survive those much more often than they do a high caliber with a high muzzle velocity uh, weapon like an AR-15 base weapon that becomes any other kind of weapon when you add stuff to it. Those are weapons of war. Those are weapons designed to kill a lot of people in a tiny short period of time. And when people say, oh, yeah, you can kill somebody Uh, You can kill uh, somebody with a knife or multiple people with a knife. uh, So you think we should ban knives? Well, if you if they invent a knife that you can use to kill 150 people in 10 minutes, like, you know, whatever the the Las Vegas shooter did with his AR-15 from his hospital, from his hotel. You're uh, going to vote against that. knife. I'm going to vote against that knife. Yeah. Get that knife out of my hands. Let me ask you this. Now, uh, the Isla Vista shooter uh, by University of California, Santa Barbara. Yeah. By the time he did his horrible deed in 2014, you were gone. You were at USC Law School, but you had been at UC Santa Barbara. Did you having been at that uh, university influence at all your perspective or or view on on the the red flag law? Because our California red flag law was a direct result of that maniac uh, going crazy and killing people. Yeah, I personally, it didn't change my position. I was already uh, pretty firmly anti-gun possession. But every uh, occurrence of this stacks up, right? You've got the scales of justice and the scales of the importance of, you know, skeet shooting or whatever versus the the, uh, the lives of, of children at school. And every single one of these occurrences does pile up on this end. And we say, how is it possible that our politicians out there are squawking about mental health on TV while we know that every country in the world has mentally ill people. We don't have more mentally ill people in America. A lot of people would say we have fewer mentally ill people in America than there are in other countries. I don't know if that's true. Who knows? But it's pretty much the same, right? Why do they not have these shooters? It's because they don't have the guns. The thing that is different is the presence, the ease of access of the guns. New York Times Sunday Magazine this week had a compilation of headlines on its Sunday Magazine cover. All of their headlines from the past 20 shooters or whatever, when they had... Uh, afterwards, in the aftermath, they, they ask, why did this person do it? How did they get the gun? And every one of these headlines prints the same way. It says, authorities say the shooter was able to obtain the gun legally. The Uvalde shooter he asked his sister to buy the gun for him before, previously when he was too young to get it. She said no. He couldn't commit a mass shooting at that point. He turned 18. The moment he turned 18, he went out and he got the gun legally that allowed him to commit this mass shooting. He was obeying the law until he could obtain the gun legally. A minute ago, uh, you talked about uh, politicians. Uh, Let me inject into the conversation the idea of judges. We've heard a lot recently about uh, the Supreme Court and abortion. Mm -hmm. People are speculating as to whether the release of the draft opinion by Alito might somehow affect the final decision. Mm. Uh, That has caused me to wonder about the gun case pending before the United States Supreme Court right now out of New York, because uh, people who followed this know that New York had a statute uh, restricting availability of guns. And the idea was, hey, if you want to have a a right, a license to carry a gun around, you better have a good reason. You better be a diamond salesman or some maniac has threatened you. Show that you have this need. The issue for the Supreme Court is, hey, uh, a Second Amendment a constitutional right. People don't need a special license to stand on their soapbox in Hyde Park and spout off and bloviate. So why should somebody need a special reason to have a gun? If you're a nutcase or yeah. if it's a bazooka right. or background checks, that's yeah. fine. But so that's that. And the leaning, apparently, of the justices when they had the oral argument a month or two ago was to strike down the New York law and make it easier to, to have you know, the right to, to carry the gun openly. I wonder if the this series of horrific shootings, first uh, Buffalo. in Buffalo and now in Texas, is going to have any impact 
on the Supreme Court, just as we're all wondering if the blowback or reaction to the release of the abortion draft is going to have some impact on the justices. I wonder if they're hermetically sealed when it comes to these public issues. They're human. They're not hermetically sealed. I think it definitely can have an impact. I personally think that, unfortunately, when they're not hermetically sealed, but they are, of course, trapped in most of them, six of them at least, trapped in a right wing media bubble. Right. They mostly are going to be reading right wing media sources and talking to right wing people. The other three, the liberals, are probably going to be talking to left wing sources. And as a result, uh, unfortunately, the gun lobby has done such a good job of portraying themselves not only as not the problem, but the solution that it could entrench them further. But they're not sealed. You know, they're not invulnerable. They're not impossible to sway. And it's totally a, a potential reality that they could say, uh, come out and say, yeah, uh, you know, Scalia's opinion in Heller was pretty off the wall. It was pretty wild. Uh, we're we're, we're going to pull that back a little bit and say that some states can have some restrictions on this. After all, you never know. Well, Heller did say that there are lawful, reasonable restrictions on guns, and we've had them ever since, whether it's right. background checks or no bazookas or whatever. Right. And this... Uh, this law would seek to change that. And you could say this Supreme Court appears very willing to change precedent, uh, a longstanding precedent, a much longer standing than, you know, Supreme Court's gun precedent, which was only 2008. Remember, we didn't have a Second Amendment right to, uh, to own guns until 2008 uh, when that changed. Um, and look at the mass shootings since then. But uh, the, uh, the, the the justices, like you said, um, they're not, like I said, they're human, right? They're they're not going to uh, ignore Uvalde completely. They're not going to ignore Buffalo completely. They're going to say one way or another, either that it entrenches them further in the direction of guns are the answer. The only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, which is scientifically definitely not true. Or they're going to push the other direction and say, well, you know, yeah, people seem to clearly want an assault weapons ban of some kind. So we're going to create the weapons ban that we want. We're going to say no automatic weapons. We're going to say, you know, no magazine capacity over six million rounds. So you can still have five million rounds of ammunition uh, on your person or whatever else. Uh, I, I think that that would be a, a good way that the conservatives could could you know, bolster the legitimacy of the court, but still come up with whatever wild pro-gun uh, outcome that they want uh, while still appearing to be reasonable. I think that's very possible. When we come back, Kevin Spacey has been charged with sexual assault in the United Kingdom. It's raising a familiar question. When artists misbehave, how should we react? Should we be burning our DVDs of House of Cards? Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Kevin Spacey's in, uh, charged in England uh, with sexual assault. Prosecutors are alleging four counts of sexual assault against three men. Uh, in 2005, they say it happened. Uh, in 2008 and in 2013. He was uh, artistic director at the Old Vic Theater in London for 11 years from 2004 to 2015. When he left, uh, the theater got 20 complaints of inappropriate behavior. And of course, everybody knows he's had legal issues since then otherwise. So, uh, interestingly, apparently they're not going to try to extradite him. There is an extradition treaty between the U.S. and, and the U.K., of course. But they're saying, you know, if he ever shows up in London again, uh, boy, we're going we're gonna to do, get him. But uh, it's not like a Roman Polanski thing where they're going all over the planet. So, I guess here, here's the, the issue that I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in talking about. I mean, you've got the Harvey Weinstein BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
situation and Bill Cosby, uh, Michael Jackson and, and music and so on. Um, you know, if you if you want to be a good person and do the right thing, uh, should you sort of in your mind uh, ban the, the artistic output of people that you hear are really bad people or you're convinced that they're bad people, whatever the legal system has done with them? Or is it OK to just, you know, hum along with Thriller uh, in the uh, in the elevator and, and not even think about that? Is it is it appropriate to to separate the art from the artist? Yeah. What's your take? It's really hard to uh, uh, to say. I mean, a lot of people um, want to take the art uh, as totally separate from the artist. And, um, you know, say that you, you the artist's opinions don't matter, for but example. But how can you? Hitler was a painter. If right. you If you, for some reason, because you're crazy yeah. or because you just have a, you know, maybe his, who knows Art what was his great. art was like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how could anybody yeah. look at that and knowing that yeah. it's, you know, a Hitler yeah. down the lower right hand corner yeah. of the painting. How could you compartmentalize? No, you're right. You absolutely can't. And I don't think you can compartmentalize Thriller. I don't think you can compartmentalize, you know, the remix to Ignition for, by R. Kelly, despite how much that song is awesome. Uh, you shouldn't play it. You shouldn't talk about how great it is the way I just did. You don't need to glorify artists because, frankly, it's not the Mona Lisa. And even if it was, it doesn't matter. No individual artist matters enough. There are plenty of artists out there who don't bring to mind in the audience's forefront of their mind when they, they listen to a song or they look at a painting or, or whatever, who doesn't make their lives worse, make our society worse by endorsing or saying their legacy is safe. House of Cards is such a good show that we should all praise it as uh, as fantastic and talk about it, its merits uh, as a piece of cinema or TV or whatever. Um it doesn't matter. It's not important enough. What's important is protecting vulnerable members of our society. It's protecting people and saying, when you are wronged, the people who wrong you are held accountable. Now, largely in our society, they're not. I mean, talk about cancel culture. Everybody who's gotten canceled has basically bounced back just fine. Very few people get canceled and it sticks. It just there's no real accountability in cancel culture. It's just a chance for people to yell at people, uh, yell at each other and feel good about themselves. But then a couple of months later, when that person bounces back and gets another stand up special, uh, they go and see him again and they go, well, this guy paid his dues because everybody yelled at him for a couple of months. That's not how it should work. Can you make an analogy uh, between artists, you know, singers and actors who we've been talking about and politicians? And maybe there's a solution there, because when you think about it. People loved Lyndon Johnson for his great society agenda. I yeah. mean, just as FDR, you know, with Social Security right. in the 30s, Lyndon Johnson's Medicare and the yeah. war on poverty, it was something that people left of center absolutely celebrated. Yeah, and yet absolutely. we know he lied like a rug mm -hmm. about Vietnam. He basically sent 50,000 Americans to their death a little bit every single month for right. years and years. Yeah. And yet... You know, we kind of ignore that. Yeah. And, and, and we do the same thing with other. I mean, with with uh, Clinton, he certainly had his foibles, but a lot of people thought he did a, a great job and they ignore his failings. John and, Kennedy was more of a personal thing, you know, a revolving door with women. And, and actually, you could draw it forward to Donald Trump. You could say, hey, if you really like his policies on foreign affairs and taxes or judges or whatever, well, we'll ignore the fact that he's a complete ass. Yeah. So maybe that. That's yeah. just the way we're wired is that we if we see things we like, like we like the sound of Thriller or we like the, the war on poverty, we're willing to ignore the really bad stuff yeah, that, that is the perpetrator the did. That is the reality of, of what people do, that you're absolutely right. They will pick and choose the things that they like and say that they're so important. But in my mind, no piece of art is important enough to justify that because the point of a piece of art is its effect on the listener, the reader, the viewer, whatever. And when the effect on the listener is ruined by its association with Michael Jackson or Kevin Spacey, then the art does not have the same impact. I think it actually does undermine. When you look at the Mona Lisa, if you say Leonardo da Vinci was a bad guy, it makes the Mona Lisa less important and impactful to the people looking at the piece of art. And the same way that Thriller is not a fun song for me or for lots of other people who actually have, you know, a history of domestic violence or violence or whatever else, if if Thriller uh, is is ruined in that way, then thrillers ruined. On the other hand, politics is different because Medicare has saved 
millions of American lives and make, made millions of Americans' lives better. So it's much harder to separate those things and say, well, we should get rid of Medicare, uh, even though it's helping people just because this guy did other things that were bad. In the same way that people want to say, oh, the founding fathers, uh, well, since they owned slaves, they can't have been right about anything else in politics. I think that owning slaves is an indication you probably are wrong about most other things in politics. But if they got something right specifically, uh, then we are allowed to take that uh, apart, especially since it was a really long time ago. These are complicated questions and there's no one good answer. Maybe the solution is to try to have it both ways. Uh, You You got it. When you're exposed to a work created by a flawed person, you praise the work and you condemn the person. In, In politics, I think that is the way to go. You can praise Reagan's God, I'm trying to come up with something Reagan did right. Uh, good speech making. How about winning the Cold War? Yeah. Was that okay? The, uh, we're, we're, we're not going to agree War, on that one either. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you can say okay. Well, he he yeah he did Iran Contra and yeah he let uh, you know millions of gay people die uh, and blamed them for for AIDS uh, and held up scientific advances in that department. But uh, and, and all the other horrible things that he did. Uh, he cut taxes and destroyed the federal bureaucracy in a way that made our country worse in in, in almost every way uh, for the uh, subsequent 30 or 40 years. But but he did give a good speech. And I think the Russians capitulated because of that. So, yeah, in politics, you can separate them, I think. Tear down this wall. Tear down this wall. Ich bin ein Wait, no, you know, it's that's fu- not right. It's funny. Uh, this, this segues so f- nicely into our final topic, whether elephants should be allowed to sue. Oh, elephants. Yeah, I'm not sure. Republicans. I'm not sure exactly what the connection elephants, is. Elephants, Republicans, Reagan. Yeah, uh, maybe so. All right. So that's that's our final topic here. Um, it's basically kind of whether zoos are illegal. Happy the elephant. Right. Happy the elephant is 51 years old, weighs 8,500 pounds, but's trying to reduce. Yeah. Uh, they're, happy's in the Bronx Zoo. <laughs> trying to reduce. Uh, her lawyers have filed a writ of habeas corpus arguing she is a legal person. And if she has such status, her detention at the zoo would be unlawful. She should be sent to an elephant sanctuary, according to her attorneys. Stephen Wise, her lawyer, uh, says this elephant is being imprisoned against her will for more than 30 years she's been kept as a prisoner. Well, that's longer than Bill Cosby was behind bars before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, you're a free man. So a lot of people kind of argue that animals and nature and ecosystems deserve some of the same legal rights that we long have felt that people and corporations have. In Florida, two lakes and a marsh and two streams have sued in their own names to stop a development uh, project. In Minnesota, in, in Minnesota, Manuman, a type of wild rice, has filed a lawsuit to block an oil pipeline. Nice. So getting back to Happy, uh, Happy's lawyers, the non-human rights project, they've represented whales, chimpanzees, and dolphins, who they argue have the complex cognitive abilities and autonomy to merit legal personhood. And in fact, courts and governments in countries like New Zealand, Bangladesh, India, Colombia have debated the rights of rivers, mountains, and landscapes. But here in America, it's been kind of an uphill battle. So you're kind of a progressive guy, a creative, an open mind when it comes to legal principles. Uh, what do you think? Would you sign up and be on the on the Look, happy this is, legal team? This is like uh, this is basically a lot like asking our corporations people, right? And Mitt Romney comes out and says, "Of course, corporations are people, you idiots. Of course, they're people." It's a legal construct, right? It's about whether this thing, person, stream, type of rice, elephant. Uh, is worthy of our protection, deserving of our protection, uh, and uh, is important, uh, is valuable, and needs uh, the ability to avail itself of the court system because it's being taken advantage of. And all of these things, the natural world, the animals in it, uh, are all being taken brutal advantage of by humans. So yeah, of course they should be able to sue. Of course they should be able to uh, to, to seek um to seek the protection. Well, you say, of, of the course, but system. so far, Happy's not one. That's true. Happy's but of course, are... she should or he should be able to uh, to avail themselves. Doesn't mean that they should win every case. Doesn't mean that just because a stream can sue that no one should be able to build a home on that stream. Uh, but the idea that a feature of the natural world or an animal in it deserves the protection and needs, you know, an advocate in the American legal system. Heck yeah. If we could get happy to hold a feather in his trunk and yeah. her, her trunk and fly, maybe Ooh. she'd have a better chance of winning. So yeah. here are a couple, opinion, here a couple sure. of facts about happy that, that people might want to know. She once shared a pen with her longtime companion grumpy. 
Now that's a that's sad. Why would a couple be happy and grumpy? No, What's it's that like expression? Seven, happy wife, happy life. It, Maybe happy wasn't so happy if her husband was named Grumpy. I don't it, know. It's like a seven dwarf situation. They complement each other. There's happy, there's grumpy, there's sneezy. There's... So Grumpy died after another oh. pair of elephants, Patty and Maxine, attacked poor Grumpy. Oh God. This sounds like a bad this soap trauma. opera. Yeah. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe the zoo isn't doing a real great job yeah, of happy protecting these animals, huh? Huh? All right, so we can uh, root for or against Happy, but so far she has not had any uh, particular victories in court. So, uh, Connor, the time has come for you to uh, uh, engage in dust guess, off. Guess the verdict exactly. I am, I am way out of practice. Favorite game show. So loyal listeners, too many lawyers know how this works. Connor, yep. I give you the facts of a real-life case. You guess the verdict. Are you ready? So ready. This is the case of the exploding stomach. I right? hope we're talking about haggis here. I hope this is not a human no, stomach. No, this is a human stomach. Oh, God. San Francisco man claims that after a meal of chili, salad, French bread, and two beers. Oh, I'm getting hungry here. <laughs> Chili, salad, French bread, and two At beers. At least you got a salad in there. He then decided, hmm, better take some baking soda. I think he- Oh, like for, for acid reflux or yeah, something? something like that. That he seems claims, dumb. He claims the baking soda caused his stomach to explode. Oh my God. And he sued, saying a warning should have been given to him. Goes to a jury trial. At least he survived. Yeah. Um, so you get to guess the verdict. Who won? The Is poor it? guy whose French bread, two beers, salad, and chili, and baking soda just blew up? Uh, this is a really good question because the baking, the arm and hammer people. Yeah. Baking soda is a food product. It, like people think of it as, you know, made by arm and hammer and using, yeah, using for uh, uh, cleaning or absorbing scents mm -hmm. or something. But it is really stupid used, cokeheads try to snort it. Sure. Yeah, there we are. Uh, it, it is for use in baking, right? In the same way that raw flour and sugar and other uh, materials are. And you would not think that if you took a spoonful of sugar or a spoonful of flour or a spoonful of uh, cooking oil or whatever else that that would cause your stomach to explode uh, and, and that you'd be in, in grave danger. Now, people who have done elementary school science experiments know that baking soda can cause some chemical reactions that emit a lot of gas and can cause, you know, inflation of your stomach. Sure. But maybe this guy never did a volcano in school. So, yeah, I can see that under the circumstance that if you eat a big stomach full of chili and beer, which somehow react with baking soda, and then you take a spoonful of baking soda for some godforsaken reason. Uh, we don't then, know that he took a spoonful. He might have taken a whole quart. That's a good point. We don't know. It could be contributory but, stupidity. That's absolutely true. And this this is, you know, how uh, how these cases work is in California, at least you have contributory negligence where one party might have done something negligent by not packaging and warning their product, but somebody else misused it. So it's maybe 50-50, 60-40, 75-25, whatever. So in this case, I think he wins, at least partially, I would, I would say he wins, because, yeah, you should have a warning on something if it can make your stomach explode, and it's food, technically. Well, I'm sorry, but the jury put the arm and hammer down. They voted no! for the baking soda That's company. That's why you did this, just for the arm and hammer down joke. It, it helped, yeah. But, you, Connor, your batting average is so good. I'm rusty. You know, Two weeks off, I'm rusty. Even Shohei Otani strikes out every once in a That's while. True. That's true. All right, we've done it. I hope you have a good holiday, and uh, we will see uh, next time we speak if Connor was right about the Johnny Depp verdict on Too Many Lawyers. Take care. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.